am glad to be with you all tonight. To, thankful to be in the presence of God, to be together with the, you, the this wonderful church, Jesus Christ. I would go ahead and I'll dismiss the children before we get started. You all may be seated. Ah, we were to have a timely 10 tonight, but I'd ask you to pray for Brother Joey, Joey Carlson. Understanding is he is sick, so pray for him. You could turn in your Bibles, and we'll start and read a few verses out of Matthew chapter 13. We'll start at uh, verse 24, read a couple verses, and then we'll drop down to verse 31. It says, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst thou not sow good seed in thy field? From whence hath it tares? And he said unto them, An enemy hath done this. And the servants said unto him, Wilt thou then go and gather them up? And he said, Nay, lest while ye gather the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say unto the reapers, Gather ye also first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them up. But gather the wheat into my barns. And we're going to go on here. It says, Another parable he put forth unto them. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it hath grown is the greatest among herbs, and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. And then, I know I've read a lot of verses, but I want to hit this one too. And another parable spake he unto them, The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of mill, till the whole was leavened. Lord Jesus, speak to us, God. Oh, Lord, we are your servants, God. We are, we are your children. We are children of the kingdom. And, God, I ask you to, to open our understanding. May we grow in you, Lord, and draw closer to you and just see you high and lifted up. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as I thought on the title for tonight, I titled it Hidden in Plain Sight hidden in plain sight, but I had also written down a revolution is born, but I think it would even be better suited to say just a revolution or a revolution is here, except for the fact that when I think of this word revolution in reference to the kingdom of God, when I think of it there, I, uh, I recognize that Jesus in so many ways, completed that revolution with his work on the cross, with his work on the cross. And so with that, I would like to flip back to, we will start with Matthew chapter 3. And last week, we began a journey here in the book of Matthew, and, and uh, I'm going to spend some time this month on it. But we, we had started in Matthew chapter 1, and, and we encouraged you, and we talked about the kingdom, that, um, the king that was born. 
and uh, uh, went down through some passages of Scripture there. And before I go any further without uh, beating it too much to death, I do want to just make mention that last week, I sometimes I throw out tidbits of information, and um, one tidbit is that some something I had run into the other day was uh, there's sometimes speculation on Joseph and, and his, his children, and one idea that had been out there in the past, I don't know that it carries tons of credibility, but that perhaps Joseph had been married before, and I don't want to mess with anybody's theology. That is not something that takes you to heaven or anything like that, and it's not something that I normally would say over the pulpit, and when I did, I was like, man, I think I caught several people's attention with it, actually. They were like, what? And so I know I talked to a couple of you, but uh, um, just want to put that out there. That's not something I'm, I like to give you bits of information, but I want it to be directed towards growing the word here, and I didn't feel like that one fit that, and I didn't want to mess with anybody's theology there. So, um, but as we take a journey here in this, we have a king that shows up on the scene, and you're going to have to pardon me, I cannot get the G in king. It just is not going to be there. So for the rest of the night, you will have to bear with the fact that I'm going to say that word incorrectly. <laughs> it's been years there, and I can't seem to get it to show up so that you can hear it. But we see the king was born. And when we look at the ministry of Jesus, it is very much about establishing the kingdom of God. Now, when you look at the kingdom, and we, we sang tonight, your kingdom is here. It is very important that you understand what you are talking about when you use the word kingdom. Because people throw out there, we need kingdom principles. And, and it's the will of the kingdom. And we get all so focused on this kingdom that we forget what kingdom it is. It's the kingdom of God. Or Matthew likes to put it, the kingdom of heaven. It wasn't the kingdom of this world. It wasn't the kingdoms that Satan tried to show to Jesus when he tempted him, but it's the kingdom of God being established. And when Jesus was born, Herod was worried that his kingdom was going to be overtaken by the true king that comes out of the lineage of David. He understood something that had occurred. But Matthew and, and the... the um, the writers of the Gospels, they very much reveal to us that Jesus was all about this kingdom. This is also a danger to Caesar, the Roman Empire. And anybody that spoke in new kingdom language was a revolutionary. We read the Gospels and we think, oh, well, that's really nice. Be Jesus out there. Be John. And when John is out there speaking and, and and it says in John chapter 3, verse 1, In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What do you mean? Oh, there's another revolutionary out there. Well, we need to watch that one. Let's pay attention. But John let us know that it wasn't speaking of himself, but it was the one that would come after him. And so Jesus comes along, and after Jesus comes out of the wilderness, he picks up that language. But you know what he doesn't get to do? He doesn't get to say, oh, well, <laughs> that guy over there. Now, I'm not really picking on John here. John had a role, and John died fulfilling his role. But it says in chapter, 14, or chapter 4, verse 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
Oh, he was walking in and he was saying, hey, (laughs) I'm showing up on the scene here. Jesus, who was nothing great to look upon, walks in and, and they just thought he was from Nazareth and he's just a carpenter's son and he says, hey, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Oh, there's something that's being established here. And in a a, a land of Judah and a land of Israel that was anxiously looking to finally truly come out of being taken into captivity and they could say, man, we're back here. Jesus steps on the scene and some people started to take notice. He steps on the scene and he begins to preach. This language was overthrow language. It's language that you see through all the book of Matthew. You see it at the very end. When Jesus walked in the temple and he took those tables, Jesus was deliberately provoking those religious leaders. He knew what he was doing. Well, he's God. Of course he knew what he was doing. But when he walked in and he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves, we look at it. And yes, he was. He was saying, this is my house and I have authority. I'm God. But it's not just that. It was time. It was time for him to go to the cross. And so when he walked in there and he began to flip over those tables and he began to to make a mess of the place in their view as he began to clean up the real mess, he was sticking a finger in their eye. And those religious leaders were like, we've got to do something about this. We can't ignore this any longer. Make no mistake, God put himself on the cross. When he determined that he was going to come die for our sins, he he came in and he preached the kingdom. And yes, the Jews are the ones that took him to trial and they turned against him. And yes, the Romans put the nails in his hands. But God had determined to save humanity from before the foundation of the world. And he came in and he did not hide from his mission. But he said, when he prayed in the garden, not my will, but your will be done. When he told the disciples that he had to go. He understood that it was, mu- it was a must. When he said, hey, he could have called down all those legions, but he wouldn't. Why? Because the cross was in his view. And so he came in speaking the language of a revolutionary. He went into their gospel or into the, their synagogues in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. It says, therefore, or, let's see if I have the right spot here. Matthew, yeah, right here. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. Oh, he came in. And in his kingdom establishment, he began to go ahead and he had his authority. Oh, I love it, Bishop. He walked in. And when the kingdom walked in, when the king walked in, that's the kingdom. And I know I brought this out just recently, but what do you need to say? Be healed. Ah, there's healing. Oh, and he would turn to a devil, and he'd say, get out, and don't speak about it. They had to leave. Oh, and he said, arise. The dead had to come back to life. Oh, and he would make his way through the crowd, and, and they wouldn't recognize him, and he would ease out. Oh, the king was here, and it's his kingdom, and everything must obey. Ah. Oh. When, when, when Jesus is on the scene, the kingdom is here. And he's taking control. He's taking control. But I see, and I told you at the beginning of this, that 
I can't really say just that a revolution is born, but that revolution was fulfilled. And you say, well, well how could, what do you mean that revolution was fulfilled? We see in the book of Revelation that when John was on the Isle of Patmos, he saw Jesus. And verse 17 says, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. You know, I had to include that portion of the verse. Why? Because there's something so beautiful about it. When I saw him, when I saw him, oh, I want to see him. I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me. Can you imagine if you were John? You'd seen him taken up. Yeah, you were there on the day of Pentecost. You speak in tongues. The Spirit lives in you. But now, you've gone through all this struggle and strife, and they wanted to put you to death, and the church has been through crisis and turmoil, but yet it's growing and it's blooming, and, and you're excited, and y- yes, and, but you have ups and downs, right? And you're there on the Lord's Day, and you hear that voice, And you turn, and he lays his hand on you. Sister Powell, how did that have to feel? You know, I've never seen Jesus in in the physical. But I, just a slight tiny, I don't even know that I want to say I've had a glimpse, but I know what it's felt like when all of a sudden Jesus just puts his hand on me. I, I can tell you about a moment right over here and. I don't think I've shared this across the pulpit, but it was right over there. and I was standing. I raised my hands, and suddenly I really wasn't here anymore. He was here, and I was connecting. And I didn't think of more than one time, actually. I had several flowing through my head, but all of a sudden I was just like, it's like, what, what is it? I'm like, I'm angry. You're angry. Yeah, I'm angry. And it just began to flow out as he took it. And it was just me and Jesus, and he just began to pull it. Why? He came and he touched me. He touched me. Oh, he, I remember a time he, he drew me up. He pulled me up. Yeah, the preacher grabbed my hand, but, but Jesus was reaching in and pulling me up. I, I thought that, that my life and my, what God would have for me was over and that I'd somehow destroyed plan A, and he let me know just how small I was because I thought, man, I had done taken plan A and I somehow had control over it. And that maybe there was a plan B for me. And he was like, your plan B was my plan A. And you don't even know what plan B is. And he reaches in and he just loves and he works. So hold on because joy cometh in the morning. Hold on to him. And so he says, fear not. I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth. And was dead. Oh, that's so important. Because we have a God who became man and died on the cross for our sins. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. I, God figured out a way to, to save your life. Oh, to bring you life. And... and, and And what is he saying there? I completed the revolution. I completed the revolution. 
And so you would ask yourselves, okay, so, so why am I still here? And why is it such a struggle? Because it still feels like a revolution. And just what I want to tell you is that God is in complete control. He is in complete control. He is establishing in his kingdom, and, and we're going to jump over there in just a little bit to the, the mustard seed and to the leaven, but I want you to know that you need to stay a part of the kingdom of God. In Matthew chapter 6, he, he tells us this. He says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. That's 6 verse 19. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Oh, the, 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 the one that brought the revolution is out there preaching. And, and he's preaching it, Bishop, and he's saying, don't lay up treasure here. Don't put your stock here. Put it in heaven. And you're thinking, well, some far off place over there somehow, maybe I can get it in that bank and deposit it. But the kingdom is here. Oh, his presence is here right now. And so you just need to, when you're tempted by the enemy, and he wants you to do this, and, and you might pause and think, well, one day the trumpet's going to blow and I want to go to heaven. Or you can be like, wait a second. He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. He's not just over there. The kingdom is here. And you can stop and you can say, Jesus, Jesus, I serve you. Jesus, you're worth everything. You're not just worth everything then. You're worth everything now. Oh, the joy that you bring today. The, the keeping that you have for me right now. Your provision that I can enjoy now. The peace that I can lay my head on the pillow now. Everything that I, all my struggle, I don't have to save it up for heaven one day. I can bring it now. Oh, I, I can bring it to him. So I'm not going to fall for your temptations. Oh, the devil likes to bring what he can offer to these eyes. But go ahead. That, you know why we sometimes close our eyes in prayer? To not be distracted by all of this right here. You just need to close your eyes to the kingdoms that the devil would put in front of you and see in prayer the kingdom of God. You need to see it. Get in a place with God because he's right here. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth. And then he tells us, but lay it up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, Oh, this is, this is big, Brother Keith. It's big. What you value is where your heart will be. And when you start skipping out on church and you start skipping out on God because you don't have time for God and you don't have time for his body, where is your treasure? Where is is your heart where is your priorities when you when you start to not have time for for these things where is your treasure why because where your treasure is there will your heart be also when you flip through these these uh, epistles back here and you you read these things that that Paul admonished oh we have christendom that is kicking all this stuff out the door they they, they they find things in the, the Bible that we've preached for centuries. They find it 
They look at it and they say, oh, well, that's offensive. As if Jesus was never offensive. And, and, and they're like, oh, that, that's dreadful and that's terrible. And as if Jesus never preached against things that, that people didn't struggle with. You know, Jesus wanted us to be wise as serpents and, har- serpents and harmless as doves. And he talks about in his Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers. But then he goes on and he talks about the people that are persecuted for, for righteousness sake. So he's saying, hey, you're bringing something into this world that's going to bring true peace and healing to people. But there's going to be a war against you. And, and, and it's not two ideas that fight against each other. What do you mean? Peace and, and persecution? How does this go hand in hand? No, it's saying, hey, you're, you're coming in with this soft attitude and this approach and, and, and you're bringing some, something special that heals people, but there's a war against you and it's not always going to be pretty on the outside. Mm, but as I said before, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. The centurion understood who Jesus was right away. Matthew chapter 8. When Jesus had come down from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus had entered into Capernaum. There came unto him a centurion beseeching him. And saying, Lord, my servant lieth at the door sick of a palsy. Grievously tormented so Jesus says Jesus doesn't have a problem I'll I'll come to him I'll heal him I'll do it and the centurion said Lord I am not worthy thou should come under my roof but speak the word only and my servant shall be healed and he begins to describe exactly how he understands Jesus and he has a grasp on it and he says for I am a man under authority having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goeth. And to another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doth it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great a faith. No, not in Israel. Oh, hear me. Your faith, Jesus is just looking for you to trust him. Why? Because when he says go, it has to happen. And when he says do, it has to happen. And when Jesus walked on this earth, you saw it in action. Because when, I just said it before, but when he told the spirit, you have to leave, it had to leave. When he said um, to the one that was dead, arise, they had to arise. When he came against the sickness, it had to go. It's kingdom authority. And nothing on this earth can stand against it. It's the authority of the kingdom All devils must bow. And one day every knee will bow. So where will you put your faith? Where are you going to put your trust? Liam, I think it was pointed out to me the other day on a sign or something. It said, in God we trust. The United States of America does a poor job at that. But why did we put it there on the money? Because we were saying something has to back this money. Something has to back this country. And we need a foundation for it. And they, we were saying there's no other greater foundation than God. 
And so he's the one that backs this. So we're saying, hey, in this country, in God we trust. I know for so many, those are words on a page. And for many more, they would like to see them taken off. Because they despise them. But where do you really put your trust? Where do you really put your trust? I could go on and I could show how Matthew chapter 9, how he demonstrated his authority when he said to the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. And then he told him, but for your sakes, you know, I'm going to heal him. And he healed that sick one so that they could see in the physical that God takes care of sin in the spiritual. There's a revolution. Not one like they had thought they would look for, but the one that was true and needed, the true kingdom. Not just something that would would be another setup of, of kings that come and go and, and, and the, the, the Medes, the Assyrians and the Medes and the Persians and the Greeks and the Romans and just, just another kingdom. No, not that kingdom, but an eternal kingdom. One that was perfect and would last and would be established forever. And so again, you say, the revolution already happened. What about all this struggle? And in the parables that we opened up with and I would like first to go to the ones, verse 31, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a grain of mustard seed. And when you hear these words, for the person who understood the book of Daniel, they may see the dream in Nebuchadnezzar, and they might see that tree and all the birds that come in. And Jesus takes the smallest of seeds and he takes the smallest of seeds and, and then he, he says the kingdom is like this thing that looks really small. But it goes big. Now a mustard seed, do, do birds really lodge and it's, it, it gets big, but, but how big? It, it's, it's biggest of all herbs. It's not, not the biggest tree out there. But, but Jesus wasn't trying to say it. He was saying this thing starts out small, but it's going to go big. Oh, if Brother Danny was here tonight or if he listens online in Norfolk, you might, you might think what you have there is small. Oh, but God's kingdom is here. And it's not the kingdom of the Assyrians or the Medes and the Persians or the Greeks or the Romans or the Roman Empire or, 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 or the, of, of the North America or the United States or, or, or Europe or, or, or Russia or anything you would like to name out there. It's the kingdom of God. And when he established it, it begins to grow, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And you may feel like, hey, I'm just a small thing here in my neighborhood or my community or in my family. But you're going to grow. I think it's fitting that, that Jesus used that same example when he talked about faith, because if you have any faith at all, you can say to this mountain, be removed, and it's going to be moved. The biggest problem has to submit to God because when you've tapped into God everything changes oh that that mustard seed and it begins to grow and 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 you just wait oh when Jesus would come and minister into somebody's life and it felt like they walked off for a little bit and and, and 
but you just wait, they're going to come back to this. This thing's going to grow. How many people came back on the day of Pentecost? How many people came back after 3,000 were filled? How many people came back after they saw the persecution of this thing that became known as Christians and the church? How many people begin to come back into all of this? Because it grows. And so you think it's small. And I remember being in school and thinking, wow, I'm the only one here. Why would I want to do this? There's a lot of pressure to give in. Maybe you guys don't feel that pressure anymore, do you? Do you feel that pressure ever? Yeah. There's pressure to compromise. And, you know, there's pressure is now and strong. You've been living this for a while. Is now, hey, can you please change it? Could you open it up to more people? What does that mean? It means that if you'll relax the boundaries, then somebody doesn't have to change to be classified the same as you. That, that if you would just go ahead and change your, your beliefs, open them up, then you could just fit more people within. But those people are suffering. They don't need you to relax the boundaries. They need you to save them from their condition. They need you to be real. Not, not create some fake movie for them. Just because you found it on the internet doesn't make it true. They need something real. There's a lot of social media out there, but people aren't finding relationships in social media. It just satisfies for a moment. How many likes did I get? How many followers do I have? But when they're in anguish, suddenly they realize I'm all alone. And where are my followers? And where are my friends? And where are my likes? By the way, let me say, there's something about personal connection in this body and interaction. And this whole idea that you live in a complete online world is garbage. I heard a gentleman just say a while back that when he sees somebody and he hears them and they start to sound a little bit crazy in their talk and they start buying into everything out there that's a crazy idea, he's like, I know they spent too much time on the Internet. And he goes, something interesting happened. He says, they begin to believe it about the church. And I thought on that because sometimes I watch service online, so do all of you, Right? But if that's all we did, pretty soon you would create some idea about myself, bishop, people in this audience. Why? Because we haven't actually connected. Has somebody ever carried on a long text message? And then you discovered the person on the other end got pretty upset about what you texted, and you're like, I didn't even make That's not what I meant. Why? Because words on the page only convey emotion so far. My boss, when I text him after X amount of time, he says, calls me. He says, I think it's time for this to be a conversation. And we begin to talk. He's like, we, we just need to work it out. This is too much texting for me. And, and when you get back in with the people of God, those ideas that you had about people, suddenly, that suddenly you're like, wait, they don't hate me. Well, they, they, they value me because there's something about that personal connection. We were meant to come together. Well, I got to get a little bit back over here, just a little bit. But this seed, it's going to grow. Sow it. It starts out small. 
and grows. And so he then tells us about the leaven. And this lady, she would have taken just a little bit of dough, some dough that had already had been leavened or fermented or however you want to describe it, been kind of like sourdough. And then she would take all this other flour and she would stuff it in there. But oh my goodness, the loaves of bread that you can make, it just takes a little time. You just got to be patient with it. Oh, you just want to walk out because, because I, 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 I have six and no more? Well, let me tell you, I, I've been to church services sometimes for years where you would show up on a Wednesday night and you were like, maybe there's like five of us, six of us. But I wouldn't trade my relationship with God for being with a hundred people over here instead of saying, wow, in my town of 3,000, why was there only six of us here tonight? Oh, Jesus was there. And, 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 uh, and angels were everywhere. And, and I would not want to exchange or trade this because it's going to grow and it's going to spread because people are hungry and so you feel like this kingdom was put here and, and it's just, and you're like, where's it at? And is the revolution here? No, it's growing and it's spreading. It's already been established. It's already been established. And so that brings me to you. The very first parable we read was about the tares. The wheat and the tares. Now you're familiar with the parable before it about how the sower went out to sow and he sowed on stony ground and thorny ground and the wayside and good ground and, and Jesus walks through and he talks about how the seed is the word and, and how it comes up and how the wicked one wants to take it and snatch it and how this one was all into it but then, then cares of this world choked it out and how there was no depth and, and we all want to be that good, good soil but here, when Jesus talks about sowing, and then he breaks it up, and he talks about this kingdom that's going to grow. And then he comes back to it. And I think this is fitting, because then he describes what the seed is. And he says in verse 37, starting in verse 37, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. That's Jesus Christ. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. And when I read that, that struck me. Yes, Sister Powell, your seed. And if the sower sows the seed over here, and it lands right over here, and you're like, well, why didn't he put me in Louisiana? Sorry. <laughs> put me in Omaha. Why did he take me out of Missouri and then out of Maine and put me in Omaha? Why, why am I here? Because the sower put you here. He placed you here. And you're struggling because the enemy came in and he brought, brought the, the children of this world and he sowed some people in amongst you that, that right now they're about the devil's business and they don't really realize it. But your seed in the middle of all this, and, and there's a war and a fight going against you. But, but the sower put me here. And so it's a fight 
and, and, and the tears over here and the, the ways of this world want to choke me and get around my neck and, and, and choke this out, right? And, and they want to get in and destroy and they want to take up the, this good work I'm doing so that people aren't affected by it. But your seed in the field. And so it's not necessarily going to be easy. And it's not necessarily going to be pretty. But your seed in the field. It says, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. And the enemy that sowed them is the devil. And the harvest is the end of the world. And he goes on and he tells us how that he doesn't want to destroy the seed. He doesn't want to destroy the crop that grows. The work that is done. Because he got carried away to try to just root out all the bad things that was out there. So when you're going through struggle, realize that God put you in there to grow in this world and to change this world. And there's people out there that he doesn't want to be destroyed. Because he just took care of what you saw as all the problems and the tears out there choking things up. Jesus sent his disciples out. Matthew chapter 10. And he sent them out and he gave them authority in sickness. He says, go and preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Cast out devils. Freely ye have received. Freely give. Now, I know a lot of you probably said I haven't cast out a devil recently on the job. I urge you. You don't have to be afraid if God puts you in that spot. But sow the seed. Freely you have received. Freely give. Now I know I'm taking two words there. Jesus is sowing you and he's put you there. But he puts you out there. And now he wants you to do the work he gave you. Don't be afraid. And then he told them. Verse 16, he said, Behold, I send you as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men. And I've never gone through anything that he describes here. But if Jesus would describe that to these disciples, to these apostles, and yet they would stand for the gospel, then, then God, if I have to go this that far... I want to stand for you. And he says, For they will deliver you up to councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues, and ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when you are delivered up, take no thought how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what you shall speak. Then we go ahead and stand to our feet. You know, I've flipped through a number of chapters here tonight. But what I wanted to bring out to you in the heart of all this is that God has put you in this world. He's sown you in it. And you're part of the kingdom of God. And what starts out small grows big. What's just a little leaven in the midst of a lot of dough begins to touch everything, and it can't be stopped. 
it can't be stopped. God already has the authority. Jesus Christ has all authority, and he's given you authority. So I know that you get down, but don't give up. Don't give up on your treasure in heaven. Don't give up on living according to the word. Don't give up on on, on sticking with Jesus. But lay up treasure in heaven. Keep it there. Because it's growing. It's growing. God has not walked out on any one of you. But he's put trust in you. And he sowed you into this world. So let's let it grow. Because he put us here for others. That's the world. He planted us here for others. He put us in these spots. So the kingdom might not always look like much, but it can't be stopped. And what looks like it's small right now and nobody can see it, and you don't think, you're like, where's it at? It's right here. And and so that's why we have the title, Hidden in Plain Sight. Because sometimes you look around and you see all the mess and you see all the garbage and, and you wonder about all of it. But the kingdom is already here. Can you just close your eyes and lift your face towards heaven and begin to talk to him and, and commit to him? Jesus, Jesus, we opened up, God, and we sang that song, Mountains Have to Move. And Oh, God, and, but God, we declare that your kingdom is here. God, you came and you established your kingdom. God, you brought it to pass. And Lord Jesus, you planted me here. And God, I want to be what it is that you've planted me to be. And God, I want to be where it is that you've placed me, Jesus. God, I'm saying yes to you. Oh, Lord, I don't want to walk out on this. God, there may be some tears in my midst, God. It may be a little bit of a struggle. But Jesus, you have people that you're reaching. You have people that you want to save, God. Oh, God, I want to bring to them, oh, God, your spirit. I want to bring to them your word. I want to bring to them, oh, God, your healing and saving power. Oh, God, I want to be salt and I want to be light. Hallelujah. God, I commit myself to you. My allegiance is to you. Your kingdom, oh God, it's here. Hallelujah. Go ahead, give him a hand clap. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I worship you, Jesus. I glorify you, oh God. You are holy, oh Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. God bless you. We'll see you again this coming Sunday. And have a great rest of the week.